Hi. This week on the show, I'm talking with Sarah Nersessian, a PhD researcher who pursues many passions and interests in life while remaining a scientist at heart. During our conversation, we talk about making decisions during your academic journey, about finding ways of nurturing your creative side during your PhD, and about the important role mentors can play in your life, especially as a woman in academia. And it's not that male professors can't understand, but at the same time, like they haven't carried children, they haven't had to balance the, um, I would say like the, the expectations of being a wife, of being a mom, and also of being passionate about academia and listening to some of the struggles that both these mentors of mine um, have faced, but still, you know, are constantly pushing or constantly um, being successful and making themselves successful and, and fitting into a world that, you know, has constantly tried to push them out multiple times is exactly what I need in a mentor. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week, with me, I have Sarah Nersessian. Sarah is a passionate researcher who loves to share scientific knowledge through illustrations and other visual communication strategies. She obtained her Master's in Biochemistry and Cell Biology at Queen's University and is currently completing her PhD in Microbiology and Immunology at Dalhousie University, focusing on exploring the impact of intratumoral immune cells on tumor development and treatment responses. Over her academic journey, she has published her research in journals, including Scientific Reports, Oncoimmunology, Frontiers of Immunology, the Journal of Immunotherapy of Cancer, and the British Medical Journal. Many of these publications were, accompany were accompanied by her custom scientific illustrations. With her unique expertise combining scientific communication strategies with illustration and graphic design, Sarah founded Designs That Sell in, in 2017. Sarah's vision for the company was a space where sign artists such as herself and others could combine their scientific foundation with their visual communication skills to illustrate the ideas of other members of the scientific community. She is a senior illustrator at Designs That Sell and oversees all its operations. Welcome to Papa PhD, Sarah. So, Sarah, um, you know, uh, of course, uh, I, we, we will talk about designs that sell, uh, but I'd like uh, first to hear about your academic journey so far. Um, uh, you know, you've, you have this project that's ongoing now, uh, but yeah, talk about, uh, about what came before And uh, if you had other projects or, or you know, side projects during uh, during your master, let's say, share share about that because one of the things that I want with the show is to to inspire you know listeners out there who have um, uh, you know some creativity they want to give voice to, for example, or it could be an entrepreneur an entrepreneurial idea to inspire them to and to and to find ways to make those things happen 
while uh, uh, successfully also completing their degrees. So, yeah, just tell us your story and how you got to to where you are today. For sure. Um, how far back do we want to start? Are we thinking undergrad or are we thinking high school? Well, uh, it could be uh, undergrad. Yeah, undergrad, I think, is a good undergrad? point okay. to start. <laughs> well, maybe I, I think I should uh, disclaim that the reason that I was going to talk about high school um, was that mm-hmm. uh, during grade 12, when I had to make the choice uh, about universities, I had the option of going into science or going into art. And um, I made a tough decision with uh, a very heavy hand played by my parents who uh, really thought that art wasn't a viable career option. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a, a 17-year-old, I wasn't too sure what I was going to do with my life. And so I, I listened to my parents. I trust their advice. And I went into sciences. I started in environmental sciences and uh, learned that I really hated policy and law. And it was not for me. Uh, And environmental science has a very heavy hand in those subjects. So I actually uh, switched my major twice during my undergrad. And uh, I went into bio, uh, just biological sciences for a year. And then finally ended up um, in biomedical sciences at the University of Guelph. Um, And that's what I graduated my undergrad with in uh, 2016. And then um, about a day after my exam, I did a crazy thing and moved to Kingston and started my master's um, like the next week. So (laughs) uh, I started my master's right away and um, started. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was really exciting though. I was uh, really excited to go to Queens. Um, The project was really enticing. I was uh, really excited to work with my supervisors. And um, so I took that project, which was um, developing an antibody drug conjugate for women's cancers. And I did that project at Queen's University, did my master's and um, finished that in about a year and a half. So I kind of uh, really pushed it and fast track so I could have some time after. And then um, did something really strange and wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I applied to medical school (laughs) and I also applied to a bunch of PhD programs. Um, I ended up getting into medical school at uh, Dalhousie and Queen's University. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up going to Dalhousie because of a, a research in medicine program. Um, so I moved to Halifax from Kingston again, a brand new city, which was uh, a little bit scarier because it was across the country. I know some people move, you know, entire countries for their grad schools, yep. and that always <laughs> really impresses me. <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm in Halifax now, and uh, I did med school for about a year and a half before I really realized that I missed the lab and I missed a lot of the space that. Is present in research and academia for creativity, for thinking outside the box. Um, you know, in academia, it's kind of like one of the very few subjects where, you know, breaking the rules is just as important as following them. Um, and mm-hmm. it kind of follows along the same beat as art. So, yeah, that's kind of that's my academic journey. And that's where I am now. Um, just kind of finishing my first year of my PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's it's interesting how. People really have different ways uh, they end up getting to to their PhD, and uh, and uh, it's interesting that you you gave yourself first. Well, you kind of followed, and it was I, I must say it was the same for me. Followed your parents' <laughs> kind of push to follow science versus the arts. In my case, it would it would have been languages, uh, and uh, you know. But um, but it's interesting that then you you you. you got accepted in medicine and you allowed yourself to say okay you know i'm there's something i'm missing and although maybe around you and uh, 
I, I, I'm just imagining, but people might have been like, How, "What? You're in medicine, and you're in your <laughs> some you're, you're people, all people. Some, <laughs> all people. You allowed yourself to to really feel what you wanted, what where you were envisioning yourself in the future, and and uh, and uh, thriving, and and made that that decision. It's uh, I think it's it's brave. It's uh, it's it's um, it's a grown up thing to do in a way. And uh, and I think it's a good message for for listeners out there that uh, sometimes or in key moments like this, you really need to hear to give to listen to yourself to what you you, you know in your core what is calling you and especially yeah, medicine. Yeah. You know, to, to decide to be a doctor, it's it has like very important consequences on what you're gonna do. You know the type of of day to day life you're going to have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a lot of reper repercussions. Very, very interesting. Yeah, but it was a difficult choice, but uh, <laughs> I haven't regretted it once, to be honest. And mm -hmm. people are, I would say, surprised by that. But uh, I would say the people who know me best are not, um, mm -hmm. and they really mm -hmm. see me fitting in best in academia and thriving uh, where. As I found myself in medical school, really anxious, really, um, you know, not feeling like I was able to practice or um, exercise my creativity and that mm -hmm. like intellectual mm -hmm. curiosity. Uh, it just isn't really the focus of medicine. Um, and I found that I'm happiest when I'm challenging myself and I can do that best when I'm, you know, directing my projects and when I'm kind of making decisions about ideas, um, you know, with practicing medicine right now, uh, a lot of the things that are actually being put into place in the field are all based on guidelines and research. And there's not a lot of room for, um, you know, going outside the norm because yeah. you're working with patients and, you no know, problem. you don't want to be doing crazy things with patients. <laughs> but I, I enjoy doing crazy things with, you know, cancer cells and therapies. So, yeah, yeah. it's a space where you can do that. Very cool. And now, uh, you know, you've talked about creativity a lot, and, and we're going to talk more about it uh, uh, later. But um, you, you, I'm just wondering, during undergrad, uh, during your master's, <clears throat> excuse me, during your master's, were there already projects, was, was there, were there already outputs you were finding for this creativity? Yeah, I mean, I never stopped painting. So that's something I have done since I was little. I uh, painted mm -hmm. my entire bedroom to a fantasy <laughs> landscape. That's how passionate I was about <laughs> painting. Um, I really love art. I just find that it, it is able to put me in a space and is able to help me communicate um, some things that I, I have never been able to communicate in words. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I continued painting all through my undergrad. And when I got actually into my honors project and I was presenting my science, I realized that, oh, I have to actually go and find, you know, specific figures that, you know, I want this component. I don't want this component. I want mm -hmm. this cell in there. Oh, but I don't need that microRNA or something like, you know, along those lines. And so that's when I realized that, oh, I could just, you know, draw this. And so I kind of did that and presented it. And afterwards, everyone, including the professors I was working with, questioned where I got them, you know, who had made <laughs> them for me. They're like, why was there no citations? Like, these are great. Um, and yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And it just didn't stop. And I realized that I could kind of like funnel this artistic passion that I had or this focus into um, doing it for my science. And it mm -hmm. became something that was like, 
well, I'm being productive. I'm working on my, mm-hmm. you know, departmental seminar, but at the same time, I'm like making art and <laughs> it's just the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. It could even become, uh, depending on, on, you know, if you're just doing art without being for a project, it could, it could be considered like a productive procrastination in a way. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really good way to describe me, actually. I'm a very productive procrastinator. <laughs> that's that's very good. And and I think creatives tend to, to, to be a lot like that. Um, now, uh, what about during your master's? Did you, uh, I imagine, well, anything that had to do with with uh, illustrating your science you were you were doing yourself which is great often yeah, in yeah. A, in a lab where people are look are you know there's the go-to person or i don't know if there could be a an, an office or people who take care of that but you in your case you were able to to do that yourself were people coming to you for illustrations yeah so that's when it started becoming actually a business idea and um, i would love to say that i'm naturally entrepreneurial but I think more so it's just, okay, you know, I really don't want to work as like a cashier. I don't want to, you know, have a part-time job because that's what Mm -hmm. I'm able to work around my schedule. But, you know, is that going to give me any skills? Is that going to give me anything? Um, Maybe, but also, you know, it's not exactly what I want to be doing in the future. And I'd prefer to develop skills that I know are going to be useful. And so I started thinking about how, um, you know, to make money off of this. And I ended up getting hired on um, as a summer communications Mm -hmm. intern for the Canadian Cancer Trials Group, which is formerly the NCIC. And through that opportunity, which really just ended up coming from a couch like conversation in a lobby with um, one of the lead communicators at CCTG who said, you know, this is a really difficult skill to have and you understand all the science and you are also able to produce these graphics. We're trying to create a bunch of infographics for patients who are going to be involved in clinical trials. And so I think that was my first paid um, experience doing science communication or doing scientific illustrations for somebody Mm -hmm. else that was actually paid. Um, Before that, obviously, if your lab mates know that you're skilled in something, um, if anything, grad students are good at, it's uh, finding other people to do the things that we don't want to do. <laughs> so I had been making illustrations for my uh, grad members, yeah, for for probably my entire master's, as well as I started becoming that person that people came to. Um, first, it was just my lab. Then it was other labs that were kind of around our labs. And then eventually, um, the, the kind of cancer research department at Queens now uh, almost has like their own in-house illustrator. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. And um, now in terms of, because uh, you mentioned to me uh, before we started the interview, <clears throat> having had some experience in university radio. And I'm, I'm asking this because I want to kind of get to uh, how these experiences and these uh, these things that are done on the side of your project, how they influence who you meet, uh, opportuni- opportunities that arise. Uh, so th- uh, that's why I kind of want to paint a picture of, of how you were, besides doing your master's project in, in this case, you were also uh, going and, and you know, uh, f- uh, following these opportunities and having these other experiences that were not related specifically to your lab, uh, to lab right, uh, yeah, subject. Yeah. I definitely did a lot of that. Um, I generally like to keep a pretty balanced lifestyle. Um, now I say balance. I mean balance between academic work and other work. Because past mm-hmm. that, honestly, um, and in all reality, in all interviews that I give, I have very little time for anything that is 
outside of like my academia, my work and my family. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where it ends for me, Um, which is not something bad at all. It's actually extremely fulfilling. It's just that I know how I like to fill my schedule. So I just want to have that as a disclaimer because I don't think it's realistic to, you know, listen to a grad student who fills up their calendar with 18 different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want people to be comparing themselves uh, to me because I don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's useful. Um, so I put a disclaimer out that, yeah, I don't, I don't get a lot of sleep and I don't get to have, um, you know, a lot of free time, but that's something okay. that I choose. So um, yeah. So during my master's, I did a few things. Um, I actually brought a, a branch of a nonprofit organization that I was a founding member of at the University of Guelph, which is known as Indigo Girls Group. So this was a passion that I've had since I um, was younger, which is female empowerment, especially at kind of like the preteen teenage and girls where mm-hmm. some of that confidence goes away. Girls go to high school and uh, I'm sure we can all remember how fun high school was. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So there's obviously like a lot of hurdles and um, girls aren't often taught the skills necessary to thrive and be confident um, while also being able to deal with a lot of the criticism that comes with that. Um, So, you know, being called, uh, you know, the B word, I don't know if I can swear, so I'm just going (laughs) to, I'm just going to be good. (laughs) It's a clean podcast. So, okay, we're going to be clean. Okay. So yeah, like not the kindest words, um, words like snippy. So those kind of traits frequently get associated whenever, you know, you're making leadership decisions that like other feisty people... feisty is the one I think... Yeah, I, I mean, feisty is like, I, I don't think I would hate that. But, you know, I don't like snippy. I don't like um, mm-hmm. the B word. I don't like, you know, bossy even. Um, sure, if mm-hmm. that's in the context of like having good leadership skills. But at the same time, my leadership style, I feel is, um, you know, very open and collaborative. And so I don't, I don't like the connotations that come with that just because mm-hmm. I am confident and I am a certain way, you know, but... Anyway, so I brought this organization to Kingston and founded it, uh, our first branch. Um, and uh, that took a lot of time in terms of my extracurriculars. So um, I hired a team there, started making collaborations with the school board. Um, and Indigo okay. Girls functions uh, mainly on our programming, which is after school programming for girls of grades six to eight. So okay. as soon as I started my master's, I started that branch there. Um, and excitingly, now we have like seven branches across Canada, which oh, wow. is crazy. Yeah. And um <laughs> If anyone's in uh, universities like in Halifax, Winnipeg, we have Toronto, Ottawa, uh, Guelph, of course, and Kingston. So all of those locations and more are popping up now. So um, it's a good way to get involved with, um, you know, teaching, but also learning. I learned a lot from going in, you know, especially during my master's. And it just helped me keep things into real world world context mm-hmm. um, and really kept me grounded um, and focused on like what was important. And I felt that you know, in grad school, in academia, in any program, you can get so pinholed and really lose sight of what's important and what the goals are. Um, And I found that, you know, Indigo Girls really helped with realigning those focuses and, um, you know, keeping what's important, important and forgetting the experiment that didn't work once, because in the end, it's not going to (laughs) change. You know, it's not going to change my world. It's not going to change anybody's world. It's what experiment and that's what it is. So, that helped me a lot. Um, another thing I did, yeah, so you mentioned the radio. Um, I did, as part of uh, Indigo Girls Group, I got invited to a lot of different opportunities, actually, that both helped me um, academically as well as socially. But one of those things was Women's World Radio, which I did a campus radio mm-hmm. show. Um, 
interviewing, which was a lot of fun. This was like just when podcasts were starting to become popular. So Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it was like very podcasty. And um, essentially it was me and my colleague Haley, who was an undergraduate student and uh, the lead for the Indigo Girls Kingston branch. Um, And she uh, and I would just chat about uh, issues that faced, you know, feminism in 2017, 2018, when we did that. and there, there was a lot of other extracurricular activities. You know, Pokemon Go came out at the time, and uh, mm. I'm a huge gamer, so <laughs> that's what I would say my like free time goes to. But mm-hmm. yeah, I was doing a lot of Pokemon Go around Kingston, like to the point where me and the MD PhD student also in my lab would like run out for a rare Pokemon during you know an experiment <laughs> and have to like put ourselves down that's for awesome. five seconds. Yeah, um, yeah, and obviously like going home, I actually um, got a puppy during my masters. Me and my partner. Um, so we had a puppy that we were raising, uh, Riley, who is hanging out with me right now. Um, yeah, so that was another kind of like fun challenge, but also exciting and definitely worthwhile. Super interesting. And uh, maybe in, in part two, we can talk a little bit about um, this question of uh, empowerment of, well, in, in this case, young girls who might, let's say, want to come into the STEM domain and who, you know, without some someone Open, you know, opening their horizons might not imagine themselves, you know, being in research or, 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 you know, being a lawyer or whatever that in the past and culturally has been very things that have been associated very much with male images. I think it's, it's a, it's a very, very cool project. And, uh, I'm really happy that you mentioned it because because that hadn't come up uh, before before we started recording it. Uh, it's, it's yeah, really cool. no, it, I think it's a really important part of like who I am and um, a really important contributor to you know the confidence that I brought into academia um, from an external you know source that mm-hmm. was unexpected, like grades mm-hmm. grade six to eight girls. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, uh, anyway. Maybe we'll talk a little bit yeah. about that later. About the reality of, of being a woman in STEM. You know, it's something that I find interesting and very timely. Um, but one one of the things, and and we're almost getting to the end of of this first part uh, of the, of the interview. One of the things that I'm kind of getting from what you what you said is, and you kind of said it uh, in passing, is. When I'm doing, when I'm working on this this project that is a passion that I, you know, that I'm deeply invested in, that experiment that didn't work does not affect me, uh, you know, does not ruin my week or my day. And this tunnel vision thing that you might fall into, and you mentioned also, you know, people coming from abroad to do a PhD and from the other side of the ocean. Uh, if uh, If you're just doing your research and you don't have a community or you don't have a passion project uh, on the side, you might easily fall into this kind of trap of over-identifying with your results and, and being overly affected by these failures, which are, you know, the, the bread and butter of science. You yeah. fail, you fail, you fail, I and mean, then yeah, yeah. It only makes the successes more powerful, you know. It only makes the publication that you get at the end, you know, more meaningful. If you yeah. don't work for it, then it's not worth a thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that is true. But but the important point, uh, and again, especially if you're coming from abroad, you're maybe thinking, okay, I should give uh, I don't know uh, sixty, eighty hours a week for my project. I think you you shouldn't forget or overlook your mental health uh 
having a social life of, of some kind because we are you know uh, we are social beings after all and uh, i think having and getting involved in in projects like this in which you are invested because there's va there are values that are being up, up, you know upheld that that mean a lot to you can really enrich you but also balance these emotions of of uh, you know small failures that can happen in the lab let's say so i, I think yeah, it's really really cool you know, even through Indigo Girls, we have a workshop on failures and, and redefining failures and like thinking about failures, like what is a failure? Um, and, you know, in, in my life, I, like tons of people say this, but there's so much truth to it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if somebody looked at my CV, they would be super impressed and, you know, would praise X, Y, and Z. But like, if I honestly put together um, an, like a failure CV, it would be like a novel. It would be thicker than the Bible. Like the reality is I've had so many people close doors in my face. I've had so many people question why I've been at a table, why I've been doing something. Um, and I think like, you know, having that worth, that self-worth divided and not having it into just your research project, like you're saying, David, is so important. Because now mm -hmm. I don't look at myself as like, okay, I'm a scientist. And if I'm not a scientist, then I'm nothing else. Is no, I'm a scientist and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an artist and I'm a role model and I'm a feminist mm -hmm. and I have these identifiers, you know, and like I'm uh, a wife now and, you know, a dog mom. And there's like all these things that I hold myself worth into that way. If something, you know, I question something, it's not everything. Mm -hmm. I, anyway, I think uh, actually uh, you're, you, I think you've said it all in this last sentence. I, <laughs> this is maybe the, the, the good half point of the interview, uh, I don't know. I, I I have nothing else to say to what you just said. It's it's. Uh, I think it really encapsulates what I what I find is a, a, the message or the take home message that I'd love people to take from this first part of our conversation. Sarah, we're gonna take a uh, we're gonna take a small break and then resume, uh, and then talk about this reality of being a creator, an entrepreneur, and a, a PhD uh, researcher, uh, which I think is is you know a lot of people today, and you know have opportunities to either start a blog or or do scientific illustration and may be afraid of starting of may not feel very secure about telling people they're they're doing something else on the side so we'll talk about that in in the second part of our conversation because i think it's it's really important to kind of again open people's horizons on that awesome hi and welcome to the break Today I'm not going to take too much of your time uh, before going back to my conversation with Sarah. I just want to remind you that if you want to buy me a coffee and uh, help me stay awake at late hours of the night uh, editing these episodes, you can now just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash papa PhD and do just that. And if you leave me a message and your Twitter or Instagram handle, I will give you a shout out in the next episode. It'll be my pleasure, and I'll be immensely grateful. And now, back to my conversation with Sarah Nersessian. At the end of part one, uh, I was really happy that she mentioned something, which is, well, uh, I'm talking about all these, these things I do, but I could I could show you, if I, if I wrote a, a failure CV, it would be, you know, super thick. And, uh, and I think one of the important things, especially in, in a podcast like this, where I'm interviewing people, is you know, we're going to talk about what people's projects, people's successes, but uh, it's, it is important, and, and thank you, Sarah, for mentioning it, 
to mention that there's that everyone goes through some amount of failures and if you're doing research and working through a phd and and you know in working in academia in research a lot of failure until you get you know an article or you know a breakthrough uh sarah do you agree yeah for sure i mean i can uh relate more more frequently than probably you'd expect but last month i um spent 200 hours on one experiment and uh it failed and I had to redo it this September and I definitely was not planning on redoing it and it was a huge pain, but that's hmm. just like one example of, you know, you can schedule your life, you can plan everything perfectly too and leave time, but failures are still going to sneak their way in and challenge <laughs> your productivity no matter who you are. <laughs> that is true. That is yeah. true. Uh, now, what I'd like to talk in the second part of our conversation is about how your life is organized today, uh, about design designs that sell. And by the way, uh, listeners, sell is spelled C-E-L-L. <laughs> it's, it's a nice pun. Um, because I think today, and, and you know, there's a lot of people that can't go to lab, stuck, they're stuck at home. Maybe it's the moment to think of projects they have, they've had you know, on their mind for a while, or this entrepreneurial uh, idea, you know, maybe it's the time to, you know, put it down on paper and start making it happen. And given that you've had this practice for a while now of, you know, having your projects, your academic, uh, your academic life, plus, uh, plus leading different projects uh, on the side, um, I'd like to talk about, you know, a little bit what first what design designs that sell has become now that you said that, that the scope has has widened and how you you've you've built it into a business and and also how you make things work so that that you have your work life you have your family life and you have the business that you develop and you make uh, all of this work with some sort of balance some sort of balance. The key, I think, for me is flexibility in everything that I do. Um, and I think that's why, personally, I was so miserable in medicine is because there's absolutely no flexibility. And so I would say, you know, if somebody asked me what day-to-day looks like, COVID has really changed things. Um, there, you know, was a span of time where I was at home mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I had to shift my PhD project um, a little bit to be a little bit more hands-off and um, more bioinformatics. Luckily, I already had some of that in my mm-hmm. project. So I definitely was in a better place than a lot of PhD students that I know. So I was lucky in that regard. But day-to-day, I would say why flexibility is so important is because running a business and doing experiments and also being available um, as like a family member and an active person um, in my family is you know, being able to take what is the most important, prioritizing that, and then going back from there. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, when you've done the best that you can, really looking at what's been left, if there is anything left, and not beating yourself up for it, but rather planning and like maybe re-strategizing how things are prioritized in my life. And I'm not going to lie, there have been a few times where... um I've been in situations that I've definitely taken on too much and I've had to, you know, respectfully decline or I've had to go back on things. And I absolutely hate doing that. But in reality, when you do so many things, that's going to be an experience that you have to experience. And 
especially when you really want to do something, it really sucks when you can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of those examples uh, is actually Indigo Girls Group, which I sat on the board of directors um, once it became an established nonprofit for three years. Um, So I just actually left this June and uh, that was a really hard step. It was, you know, taking a step back from something that um, I had essentially like, you know, built up and built a community and it was my baby, but also Mm -hmm. it was time to kind of move on from that and focus and refocus. And one of the things that I refocused um, into was designs that sell. And so the time that I used to spend on Indigo Girls Group has now become the time that I spend a little bit more on designs that sell. And, you know, you're asking like what it has evolved to. And a lot of that has been shifting the amount of time that I prioritize to different things. Um, What's weird about my schedule is that I have meetings with people that are, you know, like very hardcore, but I'm not the type of person who is going to schedule every five minutes of my life. I used to function like that in undergrad. And I actually found that I was a lot more miserable because I, you know, had this set out and I was functioning on like what needed to be done rather than what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I've shifted it a little bit so that I have um, now my like daily and weekly goals. And I know this sounds very, you know, cliche, but honestly, it's what works. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) having daily goals um, could be as easy as, hey, I'm doing this podcast today. So you know, do a good job at that podcast. And that's your goal. And that's going to take a little bit of time to think and prep. Um, And then probably a little time after just to like, you know, sit and and stay with things. And that's why I'll be like, okay, that's going to take like three hours of my day. Um, Other things I had to wrap up um, an illustrations project today. So I did that this morning. And I allocated like an hour for it, but I felt like doing it right as soon as I woke up. So I know that I have time to do everything in the day, but I can choose to do um, things when I like to. And obviously at like five o'clock, sometimes I hate myself because I've left things, but <laughs> I find that this works best. Um, so weekly goals, daily goals, and then also um, making sure that my calendar is color coded so that there's enough balance between things that I have to do and things that I'm going to enjoy. And okay. <laughs> I color code it based on that, which is probably a little different than pro- most people do, but it, it also helps me visually see how I'm doing because I am as a of a very visual person so i can see okay you know this week i had like 40 hours of things to do and nothing to enjoy i'm going to scratch off one day from this weekend and um go camping or something like that to to re-establish the balance i love it i really love it and I, i'm pretty visual too and i that would definitely work for me to to feel okay this week uh was was very red <laughs> yeah very yeah. little green yeah no i i really like the idea and um and scheduling it's it's like it's a bit like um you know having checklists it it helps taking stuff off your head which can give you anxiety or or you know keep you preoccupied putting putting them on paper yeah i i really i really really like that and um and of course you mentioned earlier that well you you don't need a lot of sleep or at least you don't you don't get a lot of sleep not everyone has you know is has that uh, that phenotype let's say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but i think everyone can find ways and strategies to uh to give themselves cues of how things are going to um to uh, allow themselves uh to 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 see okay i you know, I, I this week I need to give myself a treat. I haven't done it yet. I need to put it somewhere. I think it's great, great, great strategy. Yeah, uh, like a weekly check-in that you can do with yourself and just realign. Yeah, and and now about um, the 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 business the business part of it itself itself mm-hmm. because 
people out there uh, are doing different uh, different projects. Maybe they have a business idea to do with their project. Maybe it's a skill they have uh, on the side. It could be blogging, writing. It could be many things. But how what, how's the process of making it? You know, a, a business uh, in a, in a certain sense. How, how do you launch uh, something on the side of of your PhD? Yeah, so I think something that people need to think about is what they're comfortable with um, embarking on a business venture is the risk that's associated. Um, and a lot of times with a lot of passions, that kind of converts into services. So, you mm -hmm. know, like blogging or illustrating or writing. And so services are really unique in that you can scale them to what you're comfortable with. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you're thinking, I'm just thinking, I'm speaking to the listener who wants to start something, but um, you know, is anxious to say, oh, I'm a business owner or I'm going into business, you know, it can start as something that's freelance. And there are a ton of resources online. But what I find best is to find a mentor who is in your field, who is able to give you some guidance. And so I'm happy to mentor people. I have a mentor myself um, who I will ask questions about business, about illustrations, about art and science. And okay. she's able to provide me with that guidance and that mentorship. And again, it's really important also that she's female because she's navigated some of the challenges that maybe um, somebody who doesn't look like me hasn't. So that's important is if you can find a mentor who understands, um, you know, whether it's like gender or race or whether it's culture, find somebody who understands what um, the struggles that you might face are, because it will be a different experience than, you know, if you do find somebody who doesn't relate to anything in your life. And so that was really important. I also uh, started my business through a, a startup grant, which is the okay. summer company grant in Ontario, which is a really small grant. It's $3,000 for the summer. But essentially, in, in addition to that grant, they also provide you with um, a learning opportunity. So you pair up with a entrepreneurial, um, essentially like uh, a startup engine or startup um, okay. incubator. And they'll provide you with the resources and tools to make your business a success. And that was really key for me because I had no business experience before going into this mm -hmm. um, or quite minimal. I used to teach swimming lessons in my backyard, but this is a little different. And so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I really got like a lot of the key things. Okay. You know, this is what you need to have in place for, for legal documents. This is what you need to have in place for insurance. And a lot of that like hardcore business advice and um, learning happened through that program. So I would encourage anyone to reach um, and kind of search out and seek out those opportunities to find guidance through mentorship or through programs. Mm -hmm. um, and for designs that sell, again, like the risk associated was quite small. I was going to start up this business and provide this service and I would work as clients came in. And I had the opportunity to say, you know, thank you, that project's not for me. Um, or, you know, I don't have really like a lot of time right now, but, um, you know, if this is like not a rush project, then maybe I can take it on. So that, again, that flexibility is super important. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you're not locking yourself into like a contract that, you know, if this business fails and everything else fails with it. Um, I'm totally one to say, you know, like go all in if you're really passionate, like a hundred percent. But for me, like, I don't know if I'm going to be a scientific illustrator forever. I hope mm -hmm. that I will be, but I also don't know what's going to happen. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with just like following my passion and seeing where things go. And um, yeah, this past year for Designs That Sell has been really successful. So clearly um, something's working. Okay. So leave yourself uh, or, or not put yourself in a situation of, of uh, pressure that's going to affect the other aspects of your life. Because uh, I, I imagine if, if, let's say, you were not doing a PhD and you were just going 
to start a business, then you you know you you put all the, the effort on there. But because we're talking to people who are leading some research project and who might have an idea on the side, I think this idea or this concept of designing it in a way that it's that's going to be flexible that that it's going to, it's you're going to be able to take it at your own pace and that it will not negatively affect uh the very important thing which is your your phd project i think it's it's a it's a very sound it's very sound advice for sure yeah and uh, of course there's financial yeah, considerations too i just wanted to say that's also mm-hmm. something you have to think about Um, and, and, you know, people always say in business not to put your own money in things. And that's honestly like how you can keep it as low stress as possible is, you know, um, the way that we function right now is I pay myself, um, like I would pay any employee. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the money that the business makes goes back into the business, which is a great model to have. Um, because essentially like it focuses on growth rather than on, you know, me taking money for myself, which I would probably spend on food. In reality, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you you don't want. Uh, you, you, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Which is, uh, what's that? What's that metaphor about the the, the 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 goose with the golden eggs? You don't want to kill the goose. You, you want to feed it and make it fatter and fatter. <laughs> and then whenever it lays an egg, well, you <laughs> you take whatever it lays. No, it's uh, again. It's a very, it's very sound advice. Very smart for anyone who, who does, you know, who can't dedicate full time to to this type of project. Because, like, like I'm saying, the 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 listeners out there are in you know, deciding whether they want to do a PhD or they're in their PhD or, or in their postdoc, and uh, they probably won't have this possibility of. You know, they you can't they can't have more than twenty four hours in a day <laughs> to to be. Unfortunately, oh man, yeah. things would be different, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, Sarah, now uh, maybe, uh, and uh, I don't know if if there's uh, something else you'd, you'd want to talk about. Um, you did talk about uh, uh, about uh, Indigo Girls. You talked about um, you know uh, helping girls. Uh, picture this, themselves differently and project themselves differently into the future but um you talked about something very uh, that interests me a lot which is mentorship you you mentioned that you you went and found a mentor that I was probably a, 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 a scientific illustrator who was a woman um how did you go about finding th- this mentor and uh, you know how does or or what pieces of advice really uh really inform the way you are you are organizing your life today and you are living your life as a researcher and as a as a businesswoman yeah so the individual who my mentor is um i will name her because i think she's a fantastic resource julia krolik mm-hmm. um and she is a scientific illustrator but also does data visualization a lot of different components that come okay. with Um, presenting data, but also just that bridge between science and art. Um, Also for the sake of art is kind of where she focuses, but she has Mm -hmm. multiple businesses that um, are successful alone and are also successful together. And she's been able to bridge all these different passions and all these different projects and create a life where she has all these different passions that she's able to fulfill. And together they create like what a career would be or what a Mm -hmm. job would be. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like what, you know, typically if somebody asks you, oh, what are you? You know, you say one word, like I'm 
this or I'm like, you know, I'm a scientist and then people understand. But mm-hmm. for her, she runs a nonprofit. She runs her own business and she's also very involved in science um, and art. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that mentorship, I guess I should say how I came across that. It was kind of handed to me, which um, <laughs> I am not complaining about. But she had actually uh, been running her business through the same incubator that I okay. got my startup grant through. So people connected us and it was just like a very, very happy connection because mm-hmm. um, I essentially had a role model who was living a life that I very much was thinking about living. Because mm-hmm. that—that's where I was going to go next. Is how did you end up finding her? But now you—you you kind of explained it. That, yeah, it was—it was—it uh, was handed to you. Now, <clears throat> uh, uh, just just to kind of go back to 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 her, um, you mentioned, and I think it's very important. Listeners out there who you know who are you know women in STEM or or women in whichever domain they're 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 working and they want to create their business. There is this, you know, this boys club thing uh, in, in different domains of life. And you mentioned that having a woman as a mentor was important for you. Can you just expand a little bit on why and on, on how uh, th- that kind of affected the way you you uh, took on these, these projects and, and maybe the way you live your, your life today? I think I would, I'm going to switch my mentor. Not that Julia is like not a fantastic example, but I think to answer this question, I would like to talk about my supervisor, my current Mm -hmm. supervisor, um, as well as a past supervisor who I was in the lab with. So I did both my undergraduate and master's degrees under male supervisors. And then um, the summer after I had finished my master's, I worked in a lab with Dr. Koti from Queen's University, um, who is a BIPOC female. And the experience of working with her and seeing how she balances things in her life and how she spoke about, you know, the sexism that occurs in academia and her approach to it, it was just so enlightening and also motivating. I felt that after my master's, and I think it was the type of research I was doing um, in which, like, I preferred discovery-based research to kind of, like, hypothesis-driven, very, like, restrictive. And that's, I think, again, like, just the personality that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of like opened these doors to all this discovery based research and all these ideas that she was testing out and really involved me in them. Um, and I also saw how she balanced her life. She um, is married to another academic, has a daughter, has has a dog, um, you know, has all these other extracurricular passions, um, including running and really inspired me. And from that moment, I knew that, you know, if I was going to have a mentor who I wanted to follow they needed to have that piece that i could relate to um which Mm -hmm. includes having a family and prioritizing that and um this is actually something my current supervisor and i have chatted a lot about and i cannot say i I don't think i could say enough good things about my Mm -hmm. current supervisor um because honestly she so dr jeanette boudreau who is my current supervisor um, at dalhousie is absolutely inspirational She um, is constantly kind of chatting about what my goals are and how to reach those, um, talking about designs that sell, promoting it to other Mm -hmm. individuals, as Maduri did as well, Dr. Koti from Queens, um, as well as like also having being able to have conversations about, you know, having a family and what that's going to look like and, um, you know, what my plan is during my PhD to do that and being open with her and being honest and being able to say, you know, like if I'm planning on you know, getting pregnant at this point or this point, um, and having those conversations, I think, you know, I'm really, really lucky, but that is, is why I think it's so important because they understand they're able to support. And it's not that 
male professors can't understand. But at the same time, like they haven't carried children. They haven't had to balance the, um, I would say like the, the expectations of being a wife, of being a mom, and also of being passionate about academia and listening to some of the struggles that both these mentors of mine um, have faced, but still, you know, are constantly pushing or constantly um, being successful and making themselves successful and, and fitting into a world that, you know, has constantly tried to push them out multiple times is exactly what I need in a mentor mm. because I can talk to them and say, I experienced this and they can give me real actionable advice. Very good. And I, I, it's, it's very inspiring what, you, what you're saying. And, uh, and uh, you know, I wish everyone could have uh, could have mentors like that and, and PIs that, that were inspiring, understanding, and that, that could, you know, kind of champion you in a way uh, like that. Question, did you, when you were looking for, you know, PhD uh, opportunities, did you look for a mentor in your PI? Was it, was it intentional or it was kind of the luck of the draw you found a, a subject that interested you and you ended up having a, a great pi <laughs> in um, the level you so went no to. i i specifically looked up a few individuals actually even before i went uh, to medical school as i was prepping for my research and medicine project which has now become my phd project um i so i had known uh, dr Boudreau for a few years in that context before i started my phd okay. but okay i knew that if i was going to go back into graduate school and do another degree that that was one of my number one priorities was, you know, working on a project that I was passionate about, that I was able to drive and have a say in and finding a mentor who would support all my extracurriculars, who would not say, oh, no, you know, you shouldn't be working that other job, who would say, mm -hmm. oh, that's a great opportunity and you can tie it in and incorporate it. And there was no question about, oh, well, will you have time to focus on your research? It was, mm -hmm. I know you have good outputs. I know you work hard. And if you say that you can balance it, then I have that trust in you as an adult learner to mm -hmm. be able to do that. I don't have somebody feeding me or talking to me like I'm a child because mm -hmm. in reality, graduate students, we're not kids, <laughs> you know, like we're, <laughs> I am, I am 26 years old. I shouldn't be told like what I can do or what I can't do. And, um, I find that with Dr. Boudreaux, you know, I can speak to her like I'm speaking to another colleague and she respects my ideas as such. And I think that's super important to give, mm. you know, PhD students the confidence that, you know, I am a scientist and I belong in this community. Mm. And and uh, I've had this discussion before with other people, with other guests, that the, the term PhD student kind of puts us uh, mentally in this space of, oh, you're still, you're still in school. You're still, in a way, a, a kid, although I'm exaggerating. And, uh, and some people have told me that... Um, that they actually stopped using the term a PhD student, they say PhD researcher or something else. And I've even had interviews with people in Europe where they have contracts. They're like they're like employees. There's a PhD researcher contract, and and right. the, yeah. the, for them, there's no question about I'm an adult and yeah. I, you know I'm I'm just working towards a degree, but I'm an adult working and producing something. It's 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 very interesting. Um, I think uh, we're at the end of the interview. I think a really, really good point you just made with the, the story that you told is if you're out there looking for a PhD or, or looking for a postdoc, but it's different because you're already more independent, but for a PhD, really try to find not only the subject that interests you, but uh, a culture uh, in the institute or lab you go to and, and try to get a feel of of how am, how this long relationship that I'm going to have with the, the, the PI, 
how, how can it flourish what you know what uh, space will it give me to uh, to develop my interests to grow as a as a as a young researcher for sure but to also uh, be able to nurture other aspects of my life i think it's really really important often overlooked but i, I think you you made a really uh, good point uh, uh, of of you know how how much intent you had while you were looking of finding out these sometimes difficult points to identify in the in the pi with whom you're going to be working with so so it's great sarah we're, we're getting to the end now the thing no, that i yes I'm not done. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that, that well uh, I, I think the 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 great thing is that you already you already said uh, on on the air that if if anyone wanted mentorship from you that they could reach out to you yes yes right? of course so somehow the conversation is not over with the end of, of the interview um but where i want where i wanted to just come now is to, to the part where you can just quickly share uh you know how people can reach you uh where can they find the designs that sell and um and uh yeah you know on on social media where you are and and where they can uh, poke you and and then pick your brain or or, or whatever they want to yeah to i ask love you. that Okay, so uh, we have a website which uh, essentially contains all the information, including our socials, um, which is designs that sell with a C. So it is a pun, dot .ca. So designs that sell dot .ca. And on there, you can reach out via, we have a contact box. We also have booking online for three free 30-minute consultations. So if anyone's looking for any scientific illustrations, any branding related to scientific communication, content creation, infographics, we do it all. So you can find all that information on our website. And we also are on socials at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And all of those links, like I said, are on the website as well. Um, and you can reach me by filling out that contact form because if you title it, Hi, Sarah, then it will be forwarded to me. Great. <laughs> Sarah, now just before saying our goodbyes, did you have a last word, you know, thinking of, um, you know, what you've experienced up till today, maybe thinking of uh, people you've seen around you, uh, you know, in grad school, maybe struggling, maybe, you know, anxious, maybe also people now with this whole COVID situation being stuck at home, maybe not being able to push their project forward do you have some last words of inspiration words of and wisdom. maybe encouragement <laughs> yes i do have some words of wisdom um my my recent favorite is you know just because you're not as knowledgeable as somebody else at the table does not mean that you're not as capable knowledge and ability are two separate things and getting those mixed up can make you doubt yourself so make sure that you separate those and that you understand that your capability is not your knowledge and that your knowledge is not your capability Ability and knowledge are definitely not the same, and uh, it sounds very, you know, very simple. But if you think about it, and if you think of the times where you looked at someone, oh my God, this person knows so much; she's much better than me. You know, it it is a pernicious pattern of thought. So for sure, uh, I, I really, I really like that you that you share that in the end. So Sarah, thank you so much for having me on Papa PhD. It's been a really, really great pleasure. Thank you. It's been amazing. And thank you for what you do. I think it's great to advocate for PhDs in our lives and what we're going through. Well, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. And for me, it's a passion project, like, uh, like you must imagine. <laughs> 
And that's it for this week's episode of Papa PhD. If you like this interview, go to the show notes page at papaphd.com forward slash 107, where you can find Sarah's Twitter handle and thank her directly for all she shared during our conversation. And remember to subscribe on your device to never lose another episode. I've prepared convenient follow links for iOS and Android at papaphd.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks for listening, thanks for sharing, and see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.